Hello and welcome to IR Thinker, where international affairs are discussed. I'm Martin Zupko. Today I'm interested in a very interesting topic about Mediterranean gas, Eastern Mediterranean gas industry. And there are interesting countries like Egypt, Jordan, Cyprus, Lebanon, Israel, and others. And today my expert is Alexander Kislov. Alexander, hello. Hello, Martin. Thanks for having me here. Alexander is a professional gas, natural gas uh, analyst and market uh, researcher. He's publishing in uh, Jerusalem Post and writing many reports. And for those of you, especially my students who would like to get some information, just go to Alexander LinkedIn and there are many links to interesting reports and information that's that are fantastically useful, especially when you research this interesting topic. So, Alexander, let's start with the first question, with the first overview. And I would like to know why the Eastern Mediterranean gas industry is important. And if you can tell us something about each individual countries, like Egypt, Jordan, Cyprus, Turkey, Lebanon, Israel. So we have some overview, like what's going on, and why my students and international audience should further research this area of energy and geopolitics. Thank you, Martin, for this introduction. Um, first of all, let's define what do we mean when we speak about the East Mediterranean region or East Med, how we uh, simply put it. Uh, by saying so, we when we speak about natural gas, we mainly mean countries as Egypt, Israel, Cyprus, uh, also Lebanon, Jordan, and Turkey. And um, all these countries have a very different situations uh, in terms of natural gas markets. And um, maybe in order to start, I will just give a brief overview of this country's natural gas market. And then maybe throughout our interview, we could take a deeper cut inside each of these markets. So Egypt is by far the largest natural gas producer in the region. In year 2022, Egypt produced about 67 BCM of natural gas. Um, but Egypt is a country with a population of over 100 million of people. Uh, consumes uh, the bulk of gas it produces locally. Um, and um, natural gas plays a vital role in Egypt's economy, and it is the primary source of power generation in the country. Uh, however, uh, there is a, a thin delta between Egypt's natural gas produ production and local consumption, a thin surplus. And besides that surplus, Egypt, since 2020, has been importing natural gas from Israel via pipeline. And this surplus of production combined with Israeli supply allows Egypt to export some gas in form of LNG. As Egypt has two operational LNG plants, one is called Yeta, the other is called Itku. And Egypt is one of the key players um, um, in the LNG sector in, uh, in in this region. 
So it's located very close to Europe, which is um, one of the key sources of demand for LNG these days. And um, uh, in year 2022, Egypt played its role in supplying new LNG volumes to Europe. We will talk about this later. Now, let's move to Israel, as I've mentioned it. Um, Israel is a growing natural gas producer. And um, in uh, year 2022, country produced um, around 22 BCMs of natural gas. But contrary to Egypt, uh, Israel doesn't consume all, nearly all of gas it produces locally. It exports significant volumes of gas, namely to Egypt and also to Jordan. And uh, Israel in the past, let's say, decades, has undergone what is called natural gas revolution, because um, 20 years ago, Israel was producing very marginal and small volumes of natural gas from its offshore field. And at some point, it was even importing gas from Egypt and even LNG, as it has an uh, LNG import infrastructure that can import LNG through uh, FSRU, floating storage and regasification unit. But thanks to giant and unique fields discovered discovered offshore Israel, namely Tamar field and Leviathan, um, the situation has changed upside down. And now Egypt is a growing producer and growing exporter. Uh, both to uh, Egypt and Jordan. And uh, there's still a lot of gas lying under the seabed. Um, there are reserves to be developed in the Leviathan field and in Tamar field. And that also will be topic of our today's discussion, how to develop these fields. Um, and um, um, speaking about Jordan, Jordan is a rather small a market with um, annual consumption of about three per year, uh, mainly in the power sector. And Jordan also has uh, an uh, uh, L L LNG import uh, terminal, which causes it to import again LNG through the FSRU in Aqaba, which is on the Red Sea. Now let's move uh, to the north and uh, Lebanon. Lebanon up to date, doesn't consume any gas and doesn't produce any gas. However, there are some exploration drillings that are on the way uh, offshore Lebanon. And, um, and now let's go to Cyprus. Cyprus is a country with up to date, again, no gas consumption and no gas production. But Cyprus has significant gas reserves. Uh, one of the most um, uh, famous fields located offshore Cyprus is the Aphrodite field. And there are many international majors which, um, uh, which have interest in offshore blocks in Cyprus, including Axon, ENI, Total, and, and others. And so it is a potential gas producer. And um, besides that, um, about four years ago, Cyprus launched the project of building an 
LNG import terminal. It's also an FSRU solution. So actually it's a retrofitted LNG carrier, uh, which allows to import uh, cargoes of LNG. And um, according to the latest news, Cyprus will launch this terminal in 2024. Um, and uh, the gas delivered through this terminal will be mostly consumed in the power sector at the Vasilikas power station in Cyprus. And the last but not the least uh, of the countries I've mentioned uh, when we were speaking about this East Med geographical area is Turkey. Uh, Turkey um, is also a very big consumer market. It consumed about 55 BCM of natural gas last year. And it's a very big natural gas importer because it nearly has no domestic production and it's until now it has been completely dependent on imports uh firstly from russia azerbaijan uh, iran and also lng so here is the brief overview of these med uh, uh, countries and um, you've also asked what does make this different this region so interesting from the political uh, point of view and uh, from the point of view of the developing economic ties. Well, the first thing you need to understand that um, these are ever-changing roles of these countries. So let's take Egypt and Israel. Egypt used to export natural gas to Israel. Now uh, the situation uh, has turned upside down and Israel exports gas to Egypt. Um, so it's an ever-changing market environment. That's the, the first point, which is very interesting uh, about this region. The second point is that this region contains very significant reserves of natural gas that could be developed and monetized and um, supplied to a global market. Uh, but it's a more or less like a jigsaw puzzle and uh, to monetize them in the most effective way, there is there is a strong need for a um, comprehensive solution that will enable uh, collaboration be between these countries. For example, between Cyprus and Israel, between Israel and Egypt, as Egypt has LNG plants um, and Israel has reserves of gas. So. There is a very strong need for collaboration, both on governmental and corporate levels, and um, it makes this um, region unique from this uh, perspective. And uh, uh, the third point I would like to mention that uh, we all know that this region had its uh, ups and downs in terms of political uh, uh, relations um, uh, between countries, and uh, now especially after the uh, signing of the Abraham Accords, uh, which we will touch upon during our interview today, uh, there is a very strong push and impetus towards normalization of relations between these countries. And ISMAD is becoming a more or less a prosperous and politically stable natural gas province uh, uh, just behind, uh, just uh, just now. So this process is happening now, 
And um, it's a very exciting process. And the interest of international majors to, to this region um, um, showcases how this region is important. There is one follow-up question, Alexander. When you were speaking about all those countries, are we mostly speaking about the offshore gas or we also have like countries which have like inland natural gas reserves? Just for the students to clarify, you know, when, when you have those countries, sure. how, how, how to understand this? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, these are offshore reserves. So Egypt has some uh, onshore production, but again, the the key source of gas are offshore fields like mm. uh, like Zor, giant Zor fields, and uh, others. And um, in terms of Israel, it's the same story. So Vaz and and um, uh, Tamar, and also new fields uh, that. Uh, uh, were launched in 2022. I mean, mm -hmm. the Karish field, they are all offshore fields. And um, Turkey is the same story. So Turkey, until now, it, has, it hasn't developed any significant gas reserves, but it has an offshore field, mm -hmm. uh, not in, in the Black Sea, which is called Sakarya, but it's an also, also offshore field. Right. That, that, that's good to clarify because, you know, when you are a country inland, you man managing everything within the borders. But when you have something on the sure. sea, there is international water and high sea law and all Absolutely. those, you know, very interesting connotations, especially when we have China and, you know, all those superpowers competing for each millimeter of the ocean nowadays. So let's speak a little bit about the Abraham Accords, because you mentioned how crucial is the cooperation among the countries or bilateral co cooperation as well to basically monetize or to utilize the gas reserves. Because sometimes you have a gas reserves in a dispute waters and it takes 20 years to get sort of things sorted and then you can extract the gas. So how is this cooperation among those countries? And is there any impact of the Abraham Accords, which was the initiative coming from Israel? Um, a great question, Martin. So when we say Abraham Accord, uh, we collectively refer to a set of measures and steps which were taken towards the normalization uh, and diplomatic uh, development in this region. And we refer collectively to the uh, peace treaties which were signed between Israel and uh, Abraham Accord member countries. Um, and uh, formally, the Abraham Accord uh, notion was coined in, in 2020, uh, around three years ago. So in August 2020, um, with a very big support from the United States, um, it, it all started and uh, Israel and UAE uh, signed a, a, a peace agreement and it was followed by with agreements uh, between Israel and Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan and uh, other countries in the region. And uh, the other Point you need to understand about the Abraham Accord is that um, it is based on the foundation of the peace tre uh, treaties 
peace agreements which were signed between Israel and Egypt and Jordan decades ago. So uh, the peace regulation between Israel and Egypt and Jordan is not something new, but both Egypt and Jordan are considered to be legacy members of Abraham Accords. So um, uh, this is a very broad political framework which enables the co cooperation between countries uh, on the governmental and, pol uh, and corporate levels. And um, e the signing of the accords and their development had a tremendous uh, impact on, uh, on the region, a tremendous positive impact on the region. Um, uh, it um, resulted in the growth of bilateral trade between Israel and UAE, for example, in the growth of uh, cultural and touristic exchanges between countries, indirect flights between countries. And the uh, natural gas sector is not an exception. And it also benefited a lot from the Abraham Accords signing. Uh, one of the most prominent examples is the deal of 2021 when the UAE government-controlled investment fund, uh, Mubadala, uh, bought a share in Tamar gas field, uh, which later transformed in 11% share. And Tamar is one of the key fields in Israel. And uh, in 2023, uh, an offer was made by BP and uh, UAE leading gas company Adnoc to acquire 50% of Israeli leading exploration and production player Numet Energy. So we can see the investment growth and we can see how Abraham Accords are providing this political stability and prosperity to this region, which is, which is desperately needed here in order to realize, in order to make big investments and uh, make big long-term projects and sign long-term, for example, long-term gas agreements. So definitely it had a very big impact. So that's quite interesting, uh, geopolitical and energy dynamics in the region. And especially when you think about Europe and what's going on you know, in the European Union, how would you see the perspective of the Israeli and Eastern Mediterranean gas demand for the next, let's say, five, maybe ten years, because this situation that you just described, in 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 major way, is a positive news for the Europeans who try to cut the Russian gas, right? Yes, um, I agree with you. So, first of all, let's just um, uh, maybe uh, make a step aside and look at what happened uh, in Europe uh, for the past, let's say. Uh, let's say two years. So uh, Russia was the key supplier uh, to Europe um, uh, and uh, at record levels, Russian pipeline gas flows to Europe were reaching 200 BCM per year, which was uh, roughly equivalent to more than one third of total Europe's gas consumption. And uh, since the beginning of 2022, these flows uh, have been reducing 
And it is expected uh, that these flows uh, would uh, reduce by about 120 BCM if we compare the pre-crisis level of year 2021 to the results of 2023. So just in two years time frame, Russian pipeline flows to Europe can decrease by around 120 BCM. It's an, an enormous amount because global natural gas consumption is 4 TCM per year. So 4 trillion cubic meters for 1,000 BCM uh, per year. But you need to understand that uh, not all the gas is traded and the bulk of uh, global gas production is consumed locally. Well, for example, in the United States, you produce gas and you produce, you produce it and you consume it locally. And uh, if we take a look at the international gas trade, it is something about 1.2, 1.3 TCM per year, 1.2, 1.3 trillion cubic meters per year. So remembering that figure, of 120 BCM of flows decrease from Russia to Europe. And remember in the figure of global gas trade, we see that it represents about 10% of global gas trade. And this 10% of global gas trade was simply removed from the market and the market became very disbalanced and uh, it created a chaos uh, in natural gas market. And not only Europe suffered from, from this situation, it was a domino effect because Europe needed to import more LNG. And that meant that less LNG was available for, let's say, developing nations like uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, and uh, prices skyrocketed. And um, these countries simply couldn't afford uh, buy such expensive uh, gas. So. Uh, it's a very it's a very fundamental shift in global gas trade, and um, if now we go to the East Med region, I see um, three consequences for uh, the East Med uh, gas region. I mean, how the situation in, in in on the European gas market, namely the Russian gas flow decrease, impacted East Med gas market. There is a short term consequence. The first one. Uh, in year 2022, prices skyrocketed and it incentivized producers to produce at the peak capacity and export as much gas as they could. So in year 2022, we saw record supplies from uh, Egypt to Europe, record supplies of Egyptian LNG to Europe. Now, remembering that Egypt imports gas from Israel, this LNG export would not have been um, possible without Israeli gas flows to Egypt. So uh, you see how the markets are interconnected and uh, the higher pool for LNG from Europe incentivized gas production in Israel, gas exports from Egypt. So that is a rather short-term consequence. Um, but if we uh, look at the long-term consequences, uh, there are two of them. First of all, uh, 
the global gas market still needs this missing volume. They cannot be created out of thin air and uh, um, gas fields are not developed in one day. So now East Med gas reserves have gained such a big attention from international gas players because Europe and global gas market needs these volumes in the long term. <clears throat> and the third consequence is the third consequence, which is also a long-term consequence, that there in year 2022 and even now, there is a strong rebound in interest from the buyers to signing new long-term agreements, even from the European buyers, because previously European buyers uh, were thinking that there is a spot liquid market and gas can be sourced from, from there. And they were not very happy about signing a long-term agreement. Now the situation has changed. We can give example, for example, of, of European company named Cefe, um, uh, which uh, recently has signed uh, uh, long-term offtake agreements with US LNG producers and with Amman. Um, so we see that there is a stronger demand for long-term contracts, and that means that EastMed gas reserves can be monetized using these long-term agreements with European buyers, and long-term agreements are crucial to, to develop the project because natural gas is not produced until it's sold. Whenever you, when you have a long-term agreement signed, you have finance, financement secured and you can take the FID. So actually there's a, there are tremendous changes going there. And, and just follow-up question, Alexander. When you speak about those volumes, is it realistically possible to deliver those volumes to Europe? Because, you know, you need LNG carrier to take it from point A to point B. So even if I sign the contract with, I don't know, Egypt, Jordan, or I don't know, whatever country, I mean, are there enough ships to do it? Because it, it, it's tremendous uh, amount of gas, you know. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. So, but I don't think that the shipping is the key bottleneck because uh, shipping industry is quite well developed. Uh, however, your question is is very precise, and of course, uh, it's naive to think that Israeli fields combined with Egypt gas production and maybe with Cyprus could fill the gap of this 120 BCM missing. Uh, so if we take a look, for example, at the year 2022, Egypt delivered to Europe uh, about uh, 7 BCM uh, of um, LNG. Uh, and um, uh, if we compare it with the overall European LNG imports, which reached about uh, 170 BCM in year 2022. We see that uh, it's not a big part, but still it's it's a quite an important part. So uh, it's it's not possible to fill this gap uh, using one supply source. So Europe now is accumulating gas supply source from Africa, uh, uh, also additional gas production in Norway 
of course, the United States, which are growing exporters. But, you know, it's a more or less combining many uh, supply sources together to get the results uh, to fill this gap. And uh, ISMAT gas can play a significant uh, uh, role in that process. You, we mentioned Cyprus, and, and you also mentioned Cyprus more times. And one of the sort of like weird question, why they're not developing the gas? Like, are there any like technical problems or is more about the politics? You know, because you mentioned that Cyprus has significant reserves. So now is the time to dig in and, you know, extract it. Uh, yeah, well, uh, to develop natural gas reserves, uh, it's not enough to have um, uh, just just the will to do that. And um, you've mentioned the political problems, and um, there are some. Well, first of all, it, the uh, status of Cyprus being divided, and there are some uh, marit- maritime zones, offshore zones, um, claims uh, from uh, countries in the region, and that. Uh, natural gas um, resources exploration. Uh, that is the political issue. If we take a look at the, the second aspect of the problem, uh, which is the economical and technical feasibility development of this field, we will discover that um, it's, until now, it's still unclear how the Cyprus gas reserves should be developed. There are several options. You can build an LNG plant onshore Cyprus, which is a very expensive solution. You can try to tie Cyprus offshore fields to Egyptian LNG facilities. For example, by building a very long offshore pipeline to those facilities. Um, you can also try to develop Cyprus gas reserves together with Israeli gas reserves. And the, the other option on the, on the table is, for example, building the so-called ISMAT gas pipeline, uh, which could gather gas from Israel offshore uh, fields and Cyprus and deliver it together to Europe. But it's a, these all are very complicated projects. And... Um, uh, they require the participation of global leading oil and gas exploration companies such as Chevron, Exxon, ENI, uh, because only these companies actually have the experience and the financial uh, ability to, to deliver such projects. And there have been some interesting developments recently uh, regarding, for instance, the, the Aphrodite field development. And there, there was a drilling well, there was a exploration well drilled recently uh, by, by, by the field operators. And uh, now they wait to, to, to analyze the results of this drilling uh, to understand uh, what are the reserves to be developed. Um, precisely, and um, they have filed, the Aphrodite oper- field operators have filed a field development plan to Cyprus government. So there is a process uh, there, and I think that we can expect some news uh, 
from that side soon. Just, just a quick, quick question uh, for my students. When you discover gas offshore and you know that gas yeah. is there, how long does it take to have the first, let's say, cubic meter salt, that process? Because, so, because many students, I would, I would say. So, because many students, they have like a perception like, oh, there is a gas, they can do it. So next month we can export it, you know, but I think it's not that easy. So realistically, when those countries, they have those reserves and there are the many geopolitical problems, maybe technical problems, I'm asking from the technical realistic point of view, you know, how long does it take from discovery to export? Well, I would say that on average, at least five years in a successful case, because uh, it's a whole process. Because first, uh, when you understand that there are reserves, then you need to drill an exploration well. Then you need to drill an appraisal well, which will confirm the reserves. Then you have to do a lot of work with local regulators, with government, and understand the field development plan. And of course, you need to build infrastructure. You need to build platform to process the gas because uh, the the gas which lies uh, under the seabed, it's usually it's not pure methane. Um, there are some, sometimes there is some CO2 there, which should be extracted. Sometimes there is some, I don't know, for example, uh, some other uh, gases that needs need to be extracted. So you need to have gas processing platform. Sometimes there is a condensate there, which you also have to separate. So, so that's that's quite good to know. And uh, when we speak about East Mediterranean, the one of the biggest player is Turkey. So we know Turkey is in very interesting situation because on one hand turkey is connected to russia by the pipeline for the natural gas then there is azerbaijan that wants to export natural gas to europe through turkey and then we have the eastern mediterranean natural gas situation so how do you describe the role of turkey and what turkey can realistically get out of this east mediterranean gas reserves sure um so one of the options for monetization of Israeli offshore gas reserves, uh, namely the reserves of Leviathan field, is uh, to build an offshore pipeline to Turkey. Um, and uh, as you've mentioned, uh, Turkey is a quite an interesting gas market because, because it also offers the transit opportunities of natural gas to Europe. And these opportunities are fully utilized by Azerbaijan, which sends gas through Turkey to the top uh, Trans-Adriatic pipeline. And uh, finally, this gas, which is Italy. Uh, so one of the options is to connect Israeli gas reserves to Turkey. And uh, some of these volumes might be consumed within Turkey. Some of these volumes can be sent to Europe. So it is one of the options. Uh, but if we speak about uh, um, the recent developments, we see that Turkey imports some of LNG from Egypt, 
because Turkey also uh, has very developed LNG import infrastructure besides Russia, Azerbaijan, and Iran. So uh, in a way, Turkey is already benefiting from IFMED natural gas reserves exploration. Uh, the thing we need to understand about Turkey is that uh, Turkey in 2023 launched uh, its own field called Sakarya. Uh, it is located in the Black Sea offshore. And according to uh, Turkey official estimates, uh, which were um, uh, published um, uh, recently uh, and claimed by, I think that by Turkish president uh, Erdogan, this field might contain up to 700 BCM, which is a, quite a big amount. Of course, uh, this field would not be able to uh, fully satisfy Turkish domestic gas demand. So Turkey will still need to import gas. It is projected that this field could give up to 15 BCM per, of gas per year, which is roughly one fourth uh, of Turkish natural gas consumption per year. Uh, so there is an interesting development going on there. And the last but very important point I would like to mention about Turkey is that Turkey uh, wants to become a gas hub uh, and accumulate uh, gas from different sources and to provide it to European buyers. And uh, I think that Turkey might be very interested in uh, building a pipeline to import Israeli gas because it will boost the, the Turkey gas market liquidity. And the liquidity is the key success factor for any gas hub. So I think Turkey might be quite interested in this project. And at the moment, what connects Turkey and Israel in terms of energy? Is there any pipeline or anything, or or how is? No, currently, no. Okay. Tur Turkey Turkey is not connected via any pipeline mm -hmm. structure to, to Israel. So the pipeline would basically benefit. It's it's like mutual beneficial, you know, like uh, for for Turkey yeah. and Israel because you don't need the LNG carriers and you can go straight yeah. via the pipeline. Right. Yeah. And and are there any projects that want to build it, like on the table or just in the theoretical level at the moment? Uh, there were some negotiations, as far as I know, uh, but um, I don't think that there is a, a precise project which is lying on the table right now. Yeah, because I also heard something about gas from people, you know, going around the issues. So because you know, when you have pipeline, it's gas from bread and butter so you know that's quite yeah. interesting from the geopolitical point of view but let's move to egypt because egypt not many people know uh, generally it's quite populated country and when internal consumption of natural gas is increasing then naturally is less to export how do you understand this situation in terms of the future? Do you have any demographic uh, reports that you can connect to the energy export potentially to Europe or elsewhere? Uh, so uh, do you mean any, is there the correlation between the 
Turk, uh, Egypt's uh, demographic situation and its gas export potential? It's a very interesting question um, because, as you've mentioned, indeed, uh, especially during hot summer months, when the gas consumption in uh, Egypt spikes because there are very strong demand for air conditioning in the country, uh, exports of LNG decrease, and uh, we can see it even now. So now LNG, Egypt doesn't export any LNG, uh, and um, country's energy minister claimed that Egypt might resume LNG exports only in October when the hot months are over. So uh, basically this very strong demand from local market results in um, a very strong demand for Israeli supplies also, uh, which are uh, which I'm sure that this supplies volumes uh, will grow this year to uh, 2022. And uh, Egypt is a very big potential market for new supplies also from coming from um, uh, Israel. Uh, and the other thing we need to understand about Egypt that it has large gas pr production, but uh, its gas production come mainly from the fields that have been developed uh, recently. And many of these fields, um, they now are facing depletion and their depletion rates are quite high. And uh, uh, Egypt tries to attract as many international uh, energy players to invest in its gas production, and uh, it um, incentivizes uh, companies to drill and drill more. Uh, but um, many experts question the ability of Egypt to maintain this uh, gas production at current level, and given the demographic situation and the consumption growth, uh, we might see Egypt becoming net gas importer in some time period again. Uh, so from what you're saying, many links are heading to Israel as yeah. might, might be the future gas, natural gas exporter. So let's speak a little bit about Israel and what is Israel doing so this this position, this position in geopolitics and energy can be realistic in the future. And can we start with the with the little description where the Israel is at the moment when we have the global LNG or natural gas buyers? Yeah? So I want to know what's the significance of the Israel at the moment and what it can be when we consider all the technical things that you were mentioning during the interview, because I think that's quite interesting to to dig in. Sure. So, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, Israel has went through the, the process of so-called natural gas revolution uh, with the launch of Tamar field and Leviathan field at the very end of 2019. Uh, Israel gas produ production uh, has... Uh, uh, significantly increased, and uh, um, in 2022 it amounted to uh, 22 BCM, and uh, the production 
will further rise. There, there are new fields being launched uh, Israeli offshore. For example, Karish Field, which is operated by a company named Energian. And uh, we might see in the, in the upcoming future uh, Israeli producing around 30 BCM per year. So currently, Israel doesn't export any LNG. Uh, there are long-term agreements between Israeli companies and uh, Jordanian company named NEPCO, which is a power generation company, for about 3 BCM per year of supplies. And there is also a long-term agreement signed between uh, Tamar and Leviathan Field from Israeli side and Egyptian buyer from the other side, which is a long-term agreement. So currently, Israel exports only pipeline uh, to Egypt. But as, as we know that Egypt's uh, margin between gas produ production and gas consumption is very thin, and in fact, without Israeli supply, Egypt, for example, wouldn't have been able to supply those LNG volumes to Europe in 2022. So we cannot say 100% sure that this exactly Israeli molecule were liquefied in Egypt and sent using LNG carriers to Europe. But from the uh, data, we can see that without Israeli supplies, it would not be possible. Now, speaking about uh, how uh, the gas is delivered from Israel to Egypt, uh, there is a pipeline called EMG, uh, which long time ago was used to transport Egypt gas to Israel. Now it is used in so-called reverse mode. And there is another uh, transport route via Jordan, actually, via the so-called Arab gas pipeline. So the gas transits Jordan and reaches Egypt uh, from the south, from the side of uh, the Red Sea. So these are two export routes. But we know that the EMG pipeline capacity is being increased. There is a project of construction additional uh, section that will increase the EMG capacity uh, from current about 5 BCM per year to 7.5 BCM per year, which will enable new uh, supply volumes from Israel. And also the, the, the so-called um, Jordanian route uh, could also be uh, increased. So what we see now that there is an ongoing process of the increase in capacity from uh, Israel to uh, Egypt. And there is also a project of building a new pipeline uh, called Nitsana pipeline. Uh, and given all these projects together, in the long term, we can see that Israeli export pipeline capacity to Egypt will double, which will enable more flows. So now uh, the question is how Israeli gas producers would monetize these reserves, for example, Leviathan field. There are many options on the table. The first option uh, is to build an independent uh, floating LNG plant. Uh, it's a, quite a complicated and challenging solution, but in the world there are many examples of such LNG facilities. 
Uh, and one of them was recently developed by Italian ENI in Mozambique. There are uh, FLNG plants in Malaysia, uh, in Australia, and uh, it's a solution. And uh, Leviathan Field Partners are now conducting a pre-feed study to understand the feasibility and technical aspects of this project. So it is one expert option. The second expert option, uh, as we've mentioned, is to build an offshore pipeline to Turkey and to send uh, Leviathan gas there. The third option, which is still on the table, is to build the NISMED pipeline uh, that will connect Israeli offshore fields to uh, the European market directly via Cyprus. And, of course, there are also options of uh, additional supplies to Egypt. And uh, maybe there could be some kind of uh, agreement which would allow Israeli gas producers to use Egyptian LNG plants because Egyptian LNG plants are there, but much time they stay idle because of gas deficit. Right. And what about the security of the Israelis natural gas fields offshores? I mean, are there any disputes or do you have any problems that need, you know, some sort of political or technical solution? Because from the energy security, one thing is that you have the gas, second, that you have ability to extract it. But once you have some disputes, that complicates the whole matter. So how is that? Um, regarding uh, some complicated issues with the Israeli offshore fields, um, there is one issue that I would like to mention that the Aphrodite field, which is a Cyprus offshore field, uh, actually lies close to the border between Israel and Cyprus. And there is a very small piece of this natural gas formation, which is called Ishai field, which is the Israeli gas field. So uh, it's an interesting topic because in order to monetize Aphrodite gas reserves, uh, Cyprus government and Israeli government certainly need to act together. Yeah, so uh, this is one uh, example of such an issue with Aphrodite field. Uh, you're absolutely right that when there is a maritime dispute, it um, makes things much difficult. But uh, another positive example is um, Israeli-Lebanon a maritime uh, agreement, which was uh, reached uh, in 2022 and brokered by the United States. And it also provided um, political stability in this maritime zone, and it enabled Lebanon to launch its drilling campaign of this called Kana Field, and uh, uh, an international consortium led by Total with the participation of CNI and Katagas, uh, uh, are working there now. So it's a, a positive dynamic. And um, here are just brief examples um, of how uh, interaction between governments is needed uh, to uh, en enhance the political stability and to enable the field development. So, but um, I don't see any any other significant issues with Israeli offshore fuel development. Mm -hmm. And from those other countries, 
Is there any significant dispute issue or basically everything is sorted plus minus? The, there is a there is a there is a dispute around Cyprus offshore zone. Okay. Uh, which is uh, well studied and which is uh, well known, yes. Uh, but uh, regarding Egypt and Israel, Israel and Cyprus, no. I think that the relations between the states are on the rise, and even Israel and Lebanon, they reached an agreement. So I think that there were made significant steps in terms of enhancement of this uh, maritime stability in the region. Alexander, you mentioned uh, international actors, many players. So can we go a bit further and mention which major companies or governments or countries or maybe some international other players are involved in this Eastern Mediterranean gas? So we will have a perspective how international is this natural gas uh, sector or, or field. And then the second question, when you are you know, speaking about those discoveries of the fields, is this done by the governments? Like, for instance, Israel has Israeli companies doing this, or is this discovery matter is also performed by the international actors? Um, thanks for the question. So, if we speak about international majors, which are present in this map, it is easier to mention which majors are not present here than to mention which, <laughs> because nearly all big international players here. Chevron is the operator um, of the Leviathan field in Israel, and Chevron is also shareholder in the, the Aphrodite field uh, in Cyprus. ENI is very ENI is the key key producer in Egypt and the operator of their key field Zor, um, BP, uh, Shell, Total. Um, they're all present in the region. And um, I think that their presence will only grow. So I've already mentioned that BP and Adnoc, UAE's company, made an offer to acquire 50% of Numed Energy. And Numed is a shareholder in Leviathan Field. Uh, so the, the international majors are increasing their, uh, their presence in the region. And um, uh, you've mentioned the process of how the fields are being discovered. So basically, um, if we simplify it, uh, the, the story goes like, first of all, the government launches uh, the so-called bidding round, which was the case, the recent case of Israel, which held uh, its fourth offshore bidding round this year. We don't know the results yet. But through this bidding round, Israel uh, attracts bids from international companies or consortium of local companies and international companies that want to develop and further explore uh, offshore reserves. And uh, uh, when the bid was closed, so all the bids were assembled, Israeli ministry claimed that now Israel is country of milk, honey, and natural gas. So the results of the bid, the bidding round, should be quite successful, and there may be newcomers to Israeli offshore. So usually, it is a consortium. It is a JV between. It could be two uh, or one international player and local Israeli gas producer 
which need to drill an exploration well and, and which have a certain uh, obligations under this bidding round. So they, they ask the government to allow them to, to drill and to perform the drilling program. And if the drilling is successful and the reserves are there, then they commit a field development plan, take FID, and the field is developed. So basically, that that's how mm. it works. I think many students uh, will be interested in, are there any Russian companies involved in that projects or not really? So, uh, uh, to my knowledge, uh, Russian company Rosneft is the shareholder of the Zor field in Egypt, which is... Uh, 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 along with Leviathan, which is the key field in the region. So Rosneft is present in Egypt, and uh, Russian independent gas company Novatek had been present offshore Lebanon, but according to latest news, uh, uh, they left uh, the, the Lebanon offshore blocks. So... Uh, as far as I know, this is the only presence of Russian companies in the region. Uh, well, of course, b besides Turkey, because Turkey has um, very strong ties with Gazprom and with uh, and with Russia, uh, but Turkey stands a little bit aside. Hmm. The last question for today's interview, and and we can't skip it, is the European Union Green Deal. What's your perspective of European Union building gas pipelines if on one hand the European Union is like pushing to Green Deal and on the other hand European Union is in many ways still dependent on the fossil fuels? So I think that would be good explanation for the international audience and students. How is your perspective as a technical person, as an analytic of the gas market? Sure. So. Uh, I think that, firstly, European Green Deal is not against natural gas. And um, there were some uh, decisions made in Europe which named uh, natural gas, together with nuclear, by the way, um, the green energy supply source. Uh, and, uh, for example, to build a new uh, natural gas power station in Europe, uh, it is possible even now. You just need to meet certain requirements in terms of emissions. But uh, you need to understand that Green Deal is not prohibiting natural gas. That's the first point. Uh, the second point is that Green Deal pays a very big attention to the so-called um, uh, low-carbon gases, uh, including hydrogen. And as we know, hydrogen can be produced from natural gas, as it's so-called blue hydrogen. So there is a very big potential of utilization of natural gas to produce hydrogen and to um, provide this uh, clean uh, source of energy to Europe. Uh, so there is still room for gas to grow even within European Green Deal. And now the third point regarding pipelines. Definitely uh, now the long-term infrastructure, big infrastructure pipelines project um, are not 
uh, as easy as they used to be maybe 10 years ago. But still, if we take a look at the European natural gas landscape, we can see that new pipelines are built here and there with Baltic pipe, uh, which is, uh, which links, uh, uh, Denmark, which links Norway, Denmark and Poland, uh, launched recently. Interconnectors, interconnectors are built here and there between uh, Bulgaria and Greece. So, and, um, we've mentioned Azerbaijan, uh, that ships natural gas through Turkey to Europe. And uh, they are doing it through the uh, TANAP and TAP pipeline. And there is a project of expansion of TAP pipeline to Europe. So I wouldn't say that it's a no mm-hmm. to pipelines. I would say that uh, it's a new era for pipelines. Maybe these pipelines should be fitted, for example, uh, to potential transportation of hydrogen in the future, which or hydrogen methane mixture, which is also a solution. So um, it's a new era, but I wouldn't say that it's um, it's a complete no for pipelines. Alexander, thank you very much for your insightful words and remarks about the Eastern Mediterranean natural gas. I think it's a fascinating topic to research, and there are so many geopolitical, technical, international trade issues that, that researchers can cover. So again, thank you very much for, for this insightful interview, because it's, it's you know like very comprehensive. We have all the information coming from you in one place to rediscover and further research. So I wish you good luck with your research articles, publications, and I wish you also a lot of energy for your research because it's a complicated story. It's a complicated issue as well. Thank you again for being on IR Thinker. Thank you, Martin, for having me here. It has been a pleasure. Thank you and see you next time.